0: Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast.
1: The hell I'm not. I'm Pete Wright. Wait, (laughs) what?
0: (laughs) Uh, Today we're talking about Minute 58, which begins with Steve giving Peggy orders and ends with Hydra's prison cells. Uh, Back on the show today, we have Michael Gravano, host of the podcasts, The Superhero Show Show, and Movie of the Year. Welcome back, Mike. Thank you
1: for having me back yet again. Are you excited for the glowing beam machines in this minute? finally
2: (laughs) i love a glowing beam machine yeah not not to jump ahead but the so one they do look beautiful Mm. do you know what trips me out the most in that part because there's a forklift yeah and i'm like did they have that technology back then i'm fine with the glowing blue laser whatever they do but the forklift throws me off it's powered by a glowing beam machine though
1: like that's what you need to know okay now i buy it it's it's smart it's smart
0: tech that tracks. I love that it's the forklift though that really throws you. That really—it's <laughs> like whoa, you, whoa, whoa, right. whoa! Hold on, I don't buy any of this anymore. <laughs> What's happening? In this movie you are <laughs> <laughs> uh, Well, now we have to look. When did forklifts? Forklift, right? Ah, when did they come into into being? Forklifts—the history of the forklift. Uh middle nineteenth century through early twentieth century saw developments wow. that led to today's modern forklifts. Nineteen oh six, uh Pennsylvania Railroad introduced battery battery powered platform trucks for moving luggage. Uh so yeah, I mean it looks like the start of World War Two. Yeah, they had okay. forklift trucks in the war effort. Look at that. I stand corrected. <laughs> and how <laughs> marvel's research does it again <laughs> movie by minute podcasts my friends
2: <laughs> we've learned when it comes to the real stuff they're they're, they're pretty like uh, what was it Two days ago now, uh, the smallpox scars, and oh. so now forklifts. Mm-hmm. So they, they they have their real history locked in.
0: You know, it's funny. I, I have a note for this minute. Um, again, we're, we're ahead. Uh, we're not a, in the airplanes still, but we're a little farther forward. But Daniel Simon, who is the lead vehicle designer, had this to say. He said, we studied what was possible back then and took it just 10% further, not more. That's enough to make the Hydra people look really evil and ahead. We studied propulsion technology, materials, car design, color schemes, etc. It was a gearhead's dream to... To professionally research any kind of technical detail of this very innovative time period.
1: What well, question? How do you measure ten percent <laughs> further?
0: Does anybody have a problem with that? That was, that was my question. I'm like, did someone come to him at one point and he looked at it? No, no, this is eleven. Too far. Yeah. Take it back. Yeah. Like,
2: like Every the, five years is a quarter of a percent, and then you divide that by...
0: <laughs> I want to see the algorithm that they use right. to figure that out. Okay, let's put this yeah. tank through the algorithm and see what comes out of the other side. Right?
1: Like, when you see the soldiers and they have their new, like, like glowing blue ammo belt around their shoulders and they're glow... Is that still inside the ten percent window?
2: <laughs> well, I get it's just like a super blowtorch. Super, <laughs> I, guess right. Right. <sighs> I guess you're right.
0: It's all if in you the take blowtorch. The, if you take the blue out, it's fine. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's okay. So let's go back uh, back to the airplane. We're up in the skies with Steve as he's standing at the door of the plane under fire. Peggy is calling to him, and it's a great little moment. Uh, we were right in the middle of the minute as Peggy was saying, you can't give me orders. And Steve has uh, just, I don't know. It is not a line that's often called back to, um, but it is kind of one of my favorite lines in the film. When he says to her, the hell I can't, I'm a captain.
2: It's Steve. Th- this is why I love Steve. And people say Captain America is a boring character. Um, and that's somebody who's like, I think seen a picture of him, right? Like they, I, I don't think the same people are like, Oh, Superman's boring. It's like, read the comics or watch the, for Captain, uh for Cap, watch the movies. Uh he says that knowing how absurd what he's about to do is. Like that's somebody who I I feel he it, it's it's Rye. He knows he's only been training for like three weeks and then got super soldiered and then has been doing USO shows. Like I hear all of that in that line. Like he's like, oh, Okay. (laughs) And he gives us the
1: wry smile. Like he gives us the smile that Peggy should have given us a minute and a half ago.
0: Ooh, yes. Yes, she Mm -hmm. should have. Yeah. There it is. There it is. You found it. We finally got the smile. We finally got the smile. We got it. We just didn't get it from who we thought we were going to get it from. (laughs) Well, now we needed her to give a wry smile back. Like, ah, I finally got him to do exactly what I wanted this whole time.
1: And you know what? All we get from Peggy in this sequence is a very quick costume change, right? Somet- somehow between the the uh, USO wardrobe tent and here, she's out of her military uniform and she's in like an ascot thing that she's wearing, a new kind of blousey ascot thing. Her flying outfit.
2: <laughs> is that what that is? <laughs> yeah, your flying clothes. And also she changed at the... Maybe the slim possibility they go, they do go to Lucerne. She, she was like, "Well, this is flying clothes slash dinner wear. fondue wear, like yes, fondue wear. You can use the ascot to dab your cheeks. I'm fond dining." <laughs> okay, well, we've ruined this minute. <laughs> is is that the goal? How can we ruin it as fast as possible? How can we ruin a minute? Exactly, exactly. The I, I think this is in the slow steps of them falling for each other. This is another moment where. He she could have quipped back as mod, but she says she's just like, bombs are exploding there, bullets are whizzing by, and she's just hanging out the plane looking very concerned as he goes off. Even if this was her original mission. Uh and he's doing what she wanted him to do, she is now too concerned for Steve. Is that concern or is it awe that his his like
1: r- parachuting form is perfect? Like he is just a razor blade
0: through the air who's never learned how to parachute before yeah <laughs> super soldier oh, that's all part is of is she the first person to notice america's ass hey right there that was the moment <laughs> yeah from right here <laughs> she looks up. at altitude if there if there was a reason to have a person hanging out of an airplane door <laughs> over a war zone as they're being fired upon i suppose that would be the reason yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, have you ever run to an airplane door that's <laughs> being fired upon to look out the uh, out at the land below?
2: I, I don't know. I think I just realized that's a phobia I didn't realize I
0: had.
1: <laughs> I didn't know I had.
0: Yeah, I I don't think I could. I, I think if an airplane door was open, I think the other side of the plane is where I would be.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I'm not
0: one who's ready to go uh, skydiving anytime <laughs> soon. I think you'd be great at it. I'd like
1: to see you do that. And you can do it right after you have your weird wine fondue. I'd like you to record a bonus episode jumping out of plane. That's
0: probably the best time to do it. I'll probably, you know, have some sort of a a strange buzz or something going on. I'm like, well, now's the time to throw myself out of an airplane. (laughs) Perfect (laughs) opportunity for one of those patented
1: Andy Nelson bonus episodes.
0: All right, so Steve jumps out, uh, and his uh, his parachute opens. We we learned that he does have a parachute. What did either of you have a thought as you saw this that uh, you know he is Captain America? He's just going to jump out of a plane. He doesn't even need a parachute. Before you saw the chute open, was there that thought in your head?
2: Because. The Winter Soldier one is so burned in my head. That's my favorite Marvel movie and I watched it so many times that I was like, "Oh, I didn't remember is this where it first starts?" And I was like, "Oh, no, he has a sheet that makes sense that he's not at that level yet." Yeah, cuz he doesn't know his strength.
1: Yeah, no, I'm I'm right with you. I absolutely thought about it though because it's so easy to transpose that particular scene. Those are the those are the two big jumps, right? It's Iron Man 2 uh where she doesn't really, but extra footage, I think, throws the helmet out. Or does she kiss which one does I can't remember what was actually brought what is actually in the movie now, where she kisses the helmet, throws it out of the plane, and Tony has to die for it. And then in Winter Soldier, when he jumps, no shoot. Uh
0: yeah, I guess that uh I guess that's it. Yeah. I mean, I as as I said, obviously Bruce Bruce Banner jumps out of the, he jumps out the, out of the helicopter. Yeah. Yeah. And and turns it's into thrown the thrown out.
2: And then later, Falcon does it. I think a clear callback to the Winter Soldier. Sam, I think, yeah, I guess Captain America, right? Sam, Captain America, Mm -hmm. uh, does the same thing talking uh, to his little protege in the Falcon of the Winter Soldier TV show.
0: Right. Well, any last thoughts about anything up in the air or shall we head to the woods below? Get to the woods. Get to the woods. Into the woods. (laughs) Into the woods we go uh we're down in the inside the factory we don't get any exteriors in the script it actually we do cut to a few exteriors before we go inside but not here we just go straight in to the hydro factory floor uh what the hell are they doing i they have these giant round things that uh i guess you know what it is what it seems to be as we have zola talking about the valkyrie we actually get him saying that um I It seems like these must be like part of the engine, like they're they're building these big wheel kind of wheel devices full of these Tesseract powered uh, batteries, basically, and then putting them onto a giant rod. So there's a bunch of it. It just my my sense is it's some form of an engine. Do either of you have any idea?
1: Well, when when you pull back at minute or at second fifty four in this minute, you pull back and you see that the giant rods are going into what look like rocket tubes, like missile tubes. And I don't remember the engines on the Valkyrie having those fins on the back of them. You guys see what I'm looking at? Yep, yep, yep. I thought it was engines, too. But as soon as you see where they're going, it feels like they're going into those missile tubes, especially the one right at the front of the yeah. like the lower right-hand corner. It's It definitely has fins. But it also doesn't look like one of the weird suicide missiles. That we see later.
2: Yeah. Well, it could be like like a Tommy gun. You know, the the circular. That's it. it Runs either like an pre arc reactor, a proto arc reactor, or a Tommy gun style ammo. Because they know they they shoot everything out of that. So yeah, this is the use this disc until it's out of blue juice.
0: Right, it, kind of, <laughs> it rotates like, but like, yeah, like a like a bullet thing, like like yeah. it, that's what it looks like. It's like the cap gun thing, the little round cap a gun with bit. all the little right. things. Yes. So basically, there's the these are the Tesseract cap gun, uh, you know, uh, arsenal the the artillery. ten
2: percent more than a t- cap gun. <laughs> 10% I just,
0: ju-
1: just <laughs> want to know what the missile casing is like. And what well, are those I, things
0: for? Your point about those fins really does make me think that in some capacity, maybe what they're actually building here are like Tesseract powered bombs. But to your point, like what we see them flying, like those 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 kamikaze bombs, they they certainly don't look like those yet. So it does seem yeah. like it's something that we never see again. Maybe just showing
2: how big Schmidt's plans were. The, yeah. The infrastructure. You don't even know how many things he's built.
0: Right. That could come up in later movies,
2: and he wants (laughs) sixty percent more.
0: Say just sixty percent more. Uh, That was my question. It's funny that it ties into this ten percent thing because it's like, how (laughs) does how does Zola measure sixty (laughs) percent? Yeah,
2: yeah. Is it speed? Like, okay, we made ten today, so sixty percent more. Right tomorrow?
1: Yeah, or or, like, I need you to kill and exhaust and kill sixty percent more prisoners. Mm -hmm. Is that the measure? Because so far you've killed none,
2: and I'm pretty pissed about that. <laughs> I'm really upset
1: you're not burning through our prisoners fast enough.
2: I, I love this back and forth because, and I think throughout, I guess he's only around for a couple movies, but I, Arnim Zola is so much more human than the Red Skull. And first, because he's kind of preening, right? He's like, hmm, pretty impressed. The Valkyrie will be ready. And then he gets deflated because Red Skull's into, like, I want 60% more. And then when he says kill the prisoners, Zola looks pretty distraught by that and he's a nazi but yeah. he's still like bummed out he's like oh i gotta kill the prisoners and work to that that's not cool buddy what is the rest of your team doing right now around the world
0: yeah it's it is a weird way that zola's played because this happened several times i mean and it's I, I guess I'm I'm curious about the the perspective shift with Zola over the course of the film because he starts off like almost maniacally excited when uh when they get the Tesseract and he's just like, This will fuel all of my plans and they and you know, he's like, I, I'll be able to, you know, take over all of uh Germany or whatever and, and, and uh and Schmidt's like, No, we'll be able to take over the world. Like they both seem like mustache twirling villains, like they are are very excited about what they're going to do. And then from that point on, like he is, he's not getting to uh, be involved and and maybe it's, maybe it's this rift between the two. Maybe Mm. they were lovers and they had a quarrel. Maybe that's what it is. And now he's being cut out of things. Like he didn't get to be involved in sending the spy to go kill Erskine, uh, you know, and, and stop the super soldier program. And, and now he didn't get to have any say in, in what uh, when um, Schmidt pulled out the cannon and blasted away the SS officers, maybe that's what's going on. I, I, I don't know. How do you read the relationship between Zola and Schmidt?
2: But I think there's two ways. One is, is that like before the Tesseract, maybe there are more partners and they're both hunting this thing that could make their plans. And the minute Schmidt has the Tesseract, Zola realizes he was just another tool. That he is not more important than anybody else, and Schmidt will kill anybody, including him. And so and he's getting pushed out that way. The other way is, Erskine was once on their team, and so maybe there is a tiered system towards villainy. Erskine was fully against his will, but Zola could have been like, dude, I just love science. I don't yep. really care about people. But the minute he sees human cost, he's like, oh, that's what you meant? I I think less into this than I thought I was. I just wanted to build crazy shit. I didn't want to necessarily see what it would do. <laughs> I think most
1: of what both of you guys are talking about, I think you found in, like, late 90s era fan fiction news groups, like, that this whole, like, shipping Zola and... (laughs) and schmidt i delight out of that i support i'm fully in support of it by the way uh but no i we've talked about this that i that part of zola's charm is that he's in it for the science and the toys like look at all Mm -hmm. the amazing stuff that i built with this mad energy and that when he comes face to face with the damage that it can do he's Shocked, and it feels kind of dirty, but he still can't quite turn away.
0: Is that weird, though, to say, "Look at this this laser gun I built." Oh, wait you you actually used it on people, (laughs) like just right in front of me. You just disintegrated (laughs) that one
1: guy right there.
2: Yeah, that was a rough minute. I think he'll use it on anybody, right? Like. I think it's that he's realizing Schmidt does not care about his own men or anybody at all involved. Like, and that started from the minute when they were first playing with it, the Tesseract. And he's like, I'm going to slowly do it. And Schmidt pushes him out of the way. And there's blue lasers go all around their science room to build that first battery. <laughs> yep, That's right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the disco science room. And, and and Zola at that point is like, oh, I thought I was working with a fellow scientist. I think this guy might be yeah. off his rocker.
0: Madden. Yeah. A little kooky. A
2: little kooky. He no,
0: so. is, though.
2: He's a funny sort of mini
1: authoritarian because at the end of that sequence, right, he's so distraught by his exchange with Schmidt that he really gives this administrative bozo the business. Like he's the guy comes up for a signature. What if that signature was right important? Like, what if that was we need to take shipment of new blue juice? Like, and what, if, you're what, not. If this,
0: what if this is the order, like boost everything by 60 percent?
1: Yeah.
2: This is the 60% order and like people are waiting. It's so funny to me. One, just like the forklift, another thing, even though it's even more basic, I was like, We're clipboards around in the forest It just feels newer than World War Two, but it's so funny to imagine Hydra's soldiers having to do stuff like, here's inventory boss, check it off, gotta go peel the potatoes, gotta keep the guys fed. Like it's such it's such a mundane action to sign or check off whatever it is on a clipboard with
0: all this blowing goo. You know what it is? He is the Timmy of Hydra. Yes. (laughs) Yes, <laughs> nice work, Timmy. Yes. Look at me, Mom. Look at my clipboard. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, uh, we we've got some places with this conversation. Yeah. Um, well, it is. It's interesting to see what they're doing here. I'm very curious to kind of continue the journey with this. And I, what I also like is the fact that this is really the first time we've seen. What that what they've been doing with the weaponry? Like we see these troopers walking around, and they all have these like these crazy tesseract powered backpacks that are glowing blue energy. Uh, I mean, we'd seen kind of some signs of that development, but you know, from the time that. We first saw that uh, back in June 1943. Like, this is the first time, November 1943, we're seeing, like, mass use of it. And so it's it's pretty interesting to see, and I'm excited to see kind of how that continues to develop, because we're going to get a lot of that in the coming minutes.
2: Yeah,
1: well, and because in our very first week, we saw Johnston's first tease of use of lens flare. And this scene gives us that, That thing that causes me no end of joy. The madness of blue goo lens flare off of these soldiers' guns. I mean, every time the guy walks across the catwalk there and it's just like a searing blue blade (laughs) of light coming out of his backpack. And when in a few minutes, we're going to get a break where there's going to be so much lens flare, you might
2: not even know what's going on in the scene. (laughs) It's because it's so powerful, it cannot be contained. It cannot be contained
1: (laughs) in your your puny cameras.
0: Uh, well, there there will be a lot of well, more lens flare. You're right about that, Pete. Uh, I do enjoy the lens flare. What was, I can't remember your position. I thought you didn't like the lens flare. I thought you said it was too much. No, it's comic. It's too much. I do think it's too much in that sequence. It is way overwrought, and it
1: feels like that it. But that's the that's the the joy part of it. Like it is. Absurdist lens flare theater. That's what it is. It is. It's lens flare theater.
0: Doesn't that tie in perfectly with Hydra and the whole thing we're talking about Hydra being just a little more than what Nazis are? Right. It's like we're going to have 10% all this, percent more. I would it's say it's ten percent more. <laughs> lens flare.
1: Yeah, that fits.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, at the end of this scene, or at the end of this minute, we actually go into the barracks. This is where these prisoners that they're apparently using for uh, work duty. Uh, this is kind of uh, honestly like the mines in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, where we are right here, where they're, they they all these people uh, working hard as prisoners. And uh, we see some prisoners, some uh, prisoners that are going to be key to the story of Captain America, as they are getting led into their, uh, I guess, their their little cell. Um, we get to see Gabe Jones, Jacques Dernier, uh, James Montgomery Fallsworth, and Timothy Dum-Dum-Dugan. Dum-Dum-Dugan? I don't think we're going <laughs> to... <laughs> I don't think, Pete, I think that we should save the um, official uh imdb game introductions for them when they finally get a moment and at this point yes. since we're just seeing them walking by we'll hold off on that but we will do dum dum dugan tomorrow because he does actually have a little bit i think that's smart i think that's yeah. fair to say and so i don't know i guess is there anything else from this minute uh I, we can save all the stuff with the prison for tomorrow
2: yeah i just want to because uh, i don't think uh in my minutes i get to talk about toby jones again uh, we talked about Arnhem zola's humanity and what his relationship could be but like and you guys, I think, have talked about this in episodes past, but the, the Marvel casting, even no matter how small uh, the roles are, having Toby Jones in here, he he has that arrogance and that vulnerability like so subtly and so well, like putting award winning character actors in these minor roles really helps elevate everything. And Toby Jones is so great.
0: Do you like what they did with the Zola character, uh, like the changes they made from the comics to here?
2: I, the, the hints I find fun. Like when we first, I think first meet him, right. His face is in the, the, the glass and he's like, Oh no, he's a human. And then, yeah. in winter soldier, I, I guess like I would, I want them to go full bore comic book where he is in the middle of a robot's belly, like w- running around, <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, it's fine. It is fine. And I would like to see him more, right? It's Marvel kills off their villains too quickly. uh, And I would love more Zola.
0: Well, that's, so that's an interesting point. What what do you think about Red Skull and Schmidt in the film? Do you like Hugo Weaving and, and how he played it?
2: I think Hugo Weaving is intimidating and carries that, but he, he is fully gone, right? And sometimes, like, I like villains with humanity, but sometimes it's fun to have that snidely whiplash, like, burn it all, and he, he <laughs> oozes that. And it would be nice to have seen him evolve through the movies and maybe we could get Sin, his daughter, and, like, his. he's such a bigger he has his own cast of characters in the comics i guess because it's the 40s what two people are going to be in the ice hell yeah man winter soldier is too everybody gets trapped in the ice and wakes up in the 2000s let's do it like (laughs) i it still felt like even though they were embracing uh the comic book silliness more than a lot of other movies were at this time it still felt they were fighting it a little and versus if it came out now i think red skull would not have died necessarily and we could see him again and again and again and not just like in ghost vapor form later.
0: Because which villains have survived? Uh, Abomination and Loki, obviously. And then uh, who's the next villain who survives?
2: I don't know. uh, Is Mickey Rourke still around? Is Whiplash or did Whiplash die in Iron Man 2? No, he... I think he died, he died. Yeah, He, he died. died. But Sam Rockwell didn't die. No, Sam Han, Rockwell's still, in
0: still around somewhere. Yeah. We saw him in the one shot.
1: Yeah, I have a lot of hope that Rockwell will come back at
0: some point.
2: Oh, that'd be awesome.
0: He That'd be so great. Wasted in that. Yeah. Um Yeah, I I feel like most of their villains do die. I mean, Michael Keaton lives in Homecoming. Um. So, I mean, it's, it's periodic, but that is, I mean, I share that frustration. Um. I always enjoyed it when a villain had the opportunity in the comics to kind of come back or escape or whatever it's going to be. And, and uh, I do feel like they just have decided to just, you know, just kill him. And it just, I don't know, it, it makes for less interesting um, opportunities.
2: Yeah. Cause then th- growing and learning and changing they become a bigger threat right and like well a one and he's minor but like frank grillo plays crossbones i forget what they call him in, in winter soldier yeah uh, can you guys again t- can you tell that's my favorite one of all these movies <laughs> uh, it's uh he's crossbones for a minute i think in civil war like he he is they build him to be this badass hydra agent and then he dies. This is like right at the like,
0: beginning. Yeah. yeah. Let him
2: be fully crossbones who I, I consider a part of like the red skull umbrella. Right. Cause he hangs out with sin all the time in yeah. the comics and yeah. And that, that actor I think is wasted then. Like I love that. I just rewatched purge Anarchy. I love that guy. He's, he's just like a good brutal action movie, dude. Yeah, totally.
1: I'm, I'm looking through this list of all of the, all of the Marvel villains. And so some of them are like the, the big giant You know, um, uh, Dormammu, Doctor Strange, right? The Dweller in the Darkness, Shang Chi, Uh, Aldrich Killian. uh, I think he he met his end and he blow up. Uh, Ronan the Accuser. So Justin Hammers still around. Aisha from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. We get more survive
2: because she becomes a villain by the end of it. She's she's definitely not like
1: I don't even this uh, this shows. Nothing but Yon Rog from Captain Marvel. Did he live at the end, or did she just beat him into the? I think he into that did live and sent him. She she put him in the in the rocket and sent him off in the ship and sent him off into yeah.
2: Because that's when he's like, "You owe me this fight. You yeah. owe it to yourself." Yeah. And she goes, "No," and yeah. like smacks him and then yeah. kicks rocks.
0: I mean, obviously, they have, you know, hundreds of villains to choose from from their decades and decades of writing comics. But it does. I do think there is something interesting when they're able to kind of allow those relationships to grow over time. And that's, I think, why, uh, you know, when you have Thanos and kind of the the journey of, of that story kind of starting. I mean, I know it kind of starts in in post credit sequences and things like that, but you do get kind of an interesting development. Uh, that's allowed to kind of blossom and i think that you could do that more if they did that so oh well
2: or zemo from civil war to falcon and winter soldier oh, there's one yeah um and even though he goes kind of loki role right of like i'm a villain but i'm on your side yeah i'm uh, my best yeah. friend <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: But but that but again that's because they're exploring like what can we do with this character to give it a little more to you know more complexity and and yeah mm-hmm. I mean it would be really interesting like if Stane was still around from the first one and you know had been you know just in prison this whole time and but was still like this millionaire or something like the way yeah. that they, they could have played that um, in in later stories but.
2: Building an Ironmonger 2.0 with a box of scraps. (laughs) (laughs) I
1: wonder, though, what the ratio is, because they're they're churning through, you know, as many villains. Like how many villains do they get to churn through as a ratio of how many heroes they're churning through? Right. Because all the movies have more heroes than villains. And so there's no way we can like we've got to get them off the table in many cases narratively because we just have to introduce so many more. I mean, it's not like I don't understand the challenge of it, yeah, of, yeah. of keeping villains around. But, of course, then you run into, you know, uh, building up this potentially great character and killing him in the first 10 minutes of the next movie.
2: Right. And then, and or like Thunderbolts is going to come out, right, in a yeah. few years. And wouldn't it be nice to not be like, well, I know the five who are alive, so it's going to be them on the Thunderbolts. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> Truth. i think a lot of it probably and this is this is a, a very cynical way of looking at it but a lot of it probably boils down to uh marketing and toys and and other oh, yeah. other avenues they can can you know sell stuff because when you have captain america you can only sell so many Captain America toys because then everyone has it. And that's, that goes back to kind of like the Batman thing. It's like, well, then you got to change his outfit every movie right. yeah. so that there's a different Batman. And uh, so that's why it's like, well, we want a different villain because we need another bad guy. We need another thing that we can put in a box to sell to kids.
1: Mm-hmm. When the truth is, I would watch Eric Killmonger go up against every single team in the Marvel yes. Universe. I want more Michael B. Jordan. That's the only thing that matters.
2: Well, I think that's, that's the one argument. I think he had to die. Otherwise, he would just be the hero in the
0: audience's mind of the entire Marvel <laughs> yes. Universe. And they're like, we made him too powerful. Get him that off the too board. Good. Too good. All right. Well, let's put a cap in it uh, for today. Um, so, uh, so, Mike, tell everybody about your shows where they can tune in.
2: Yeah, go over to wherever you get your podcasts. I prefer Overcast. Check out the Superhero Show Show, where every week me and my three compatriots watch and review every single live-action TV show based on comic books. And if you're like, I know there's like four of them. There's more. There's more than you think, because sometimes we found out a show that was out for months was based on a comic book, because right now people are pitching comic books before they're even published and they become Netflix TV shows, and then we have to watch that. Uh, or check out movie of the year every season is a different year and then we build a giant bracket and make them fight each other till we find the that I uh, just it's the tagline I say every week we've had the best movie of that year <laughs> real game no, no, you're doing one. great yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, all of it lives up popfilter.co.
0: awesome well all of that will be in the show notes check them out uh, we will be back tomorrow to discuss the next minute of the movie so uh, thanks Mike thank you And Pete, thank you. Tomorrow, I might be 60%
1: more Pete. (laughs) Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega And this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show.